Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Join My League Football Podcast. Uh, today I got some fantasy football talk for you, a recap of a couple of Sunday winners, including a hot take on Baker Mayfield and his actions slash comments that he's made over the last few days. That plus week 13 picks, it's going to be a good one. Welcome to the Join My League Football Podcast with your host, Tim Collector. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Join My League Football Podcast. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I spent the weekend at the beach. That's why no episode last week, but it was great. I had a great Thanksgiving. I uh, watched tons of football, college, college included. It was great. I had a great time, except, except for Notre Dame doing all, but officially punching their ticket to the college football playoffs. I hate them. I hate Notre Dame. I hate their fans. And come to think of it, I think I hate Irish people in general. Especially Irish people named Rick, who are fans of that crummy football program Notre Dame. Real scumbag. This guy, this guy Rick, he has the nerve, the nerve to text me Saturday night, give me the most backhanded compliment that I've ever received regarding this podcast, and challenges me to be more of myself on the air. And I quote, You know your And one of the reasons people like you so much is because you don't give a fuck what other people think. You now have the ultimate platform to preach your garbage. Use it. End quote. (laughs) Well, Rick, buddy, you fucked up, pal. Fucked up real good. How many times you ask me to give you a holler on the air? Hey, man, no shout out this week? Where's my shout out, bro? You want a shout out? Here's a shout out. And here's to hoping everybody who listens to this podcast gives you a shout-out as well. Personally. 815-592-4526. Have at it, folks. All right, there's a lot to get into regarding uh, Week 12 and 13, so let's not waste any more time on that piece of trash Irishman. First and foremost, allow me to pat myself on the back real quick as I'm 10-0 over the last two weeks on picks. With no 5-0 marks on the season heading into Week 11, I picked the Colts over the Titans, Texans over the Redskins, Saints over the Eagles, Bears over the Vikings, and Rams over the Chiefs. And last week, I picked all three Thanksgiving correct. Uh, Bears, Cowboys, Saints took the Vikings on Sunday Night Football and the Texans on Monday Night Football. Brings me to 35-20 and 20 on picks for the show and 102, 56-2 total on the year. Pretty impressive. Start listening to me if you haven't already. As always, picks are going to come at the tail end of the episode today. And also, I owe you guys uh, fantasy analysis today, followed by the weekly Jimmy Conway Award, which, uh, to my surprise, has been quite the hit to this point. Goodfellas is one of the most iconic movies of my lifetime, and the fact that I've had uh, several DMs Propping the quick segment, it just shows that I have a following full of smart people who understand the importance of unintentional comedy in movies. I think that's very important, and I'm glad you guys all get the reference. But before we get into all that, who had the best day of Week 12 in the NFL regular season? Uh, To me, it's a tie, sort of. I think it's a tie between a a wily veteran and an up-and-coming rookie who's shown flashes of brilliance during his brief time with the NFL. We're going to start with the veteran, Phillip Rivers, Chargers quarterback. He set a record for the most consecutive completions to start a game with 25, and his 28 game completions off 29 attempts 
set the record for the highest completion percentage for an entire game at 96.5%. That is special. On top of going down 10 nothing to the Cardinals early, what did Phillip Rivers and the Chargers do? 45 straight points to cap off a 45-10 victory over the Cardinals. They sit at 8-3, winning 7 of their last 8. The Chargers should be feeling pretty good about themselves, and uh, they're going to need the confidence heading into the next few weeks. They're going to be in Pittsburgh for Sunday Night Football this week to take on the Steelers in a huge AFC showdown uh, before a tune-up home game against the Bengals following a date with their 9-2 rivals, the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, that game could very well decide the division. The other winner of uh, the week, Cleveland Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield. And uh, there's more to it than him just winning the weekend. Because I've got some gripes. Now, Mayfield was one of the talks of the weekend with his performance on and off the field as well. Uh, he dazzled in Sunday's win over the Bengals, going for four touchdowns. Then he proceeded to deny his former coach, Hugh Jackson, a hug during the post-game exchange. Now, Mayfield was asked about it. He responded by saying, I didn't feel like talking. He left Cleveland, goes down to Cincinnati. It's just somebody who was in our locker room asking for us to play for him, and then he goes to a different team, a rival team that we play, uh, play twice a year. Everyone can have their spin on it, but that's how I feel. Well, I'm going to acknowledge the win for Mayfield by owning Jackson and certain ESPN analysts on and off the field Sunday. I can't say that I particularly agree. I do like that. You know, if, if Baker felt disrespected by Hugh Jackson, then he used the disrespect as motivation to exact revenge, and he did so successfully. But let's get one thing straight. Hugh Jackson was fired from Cleveland. He was fired. He didn't up and leave. He didn't ditch out on anybody. He didn't betray anybody. He was fired, and he was offered a job with a rival. How do you expect him not to take the job? You expect him to stay unemployed until maybe Baker Mayfield feels it's acceptable for him to accept a job? No, the guy's got a family, did what's right for his family. His coach of the Browns got fired. The rival Bengals decided to offer him a job, and he took it. There's nothing wrong with that. But Baker Mayfield ruffled some feathers outside of the league, which I absolutely love. And that's another W for the Browns rookie quarterback. A writer at The Daily Caller has called Baker Mayfield embarrassing and accused him of acting like a teenage girl. Okay, the writer's name was not on top of the article. Otherwise, I'd call him out right now, and I would have trolled the holy hell out of his social media account. But first off, it's not like Baker wished harm on Hugh Jackson or his family. It's not like he uh, physically slapped him in the face. You know, he shook his hand, he denied the hug, he kept it short, and walked away. Second, he was asked about it during the post-game presser, and he gave a respectful, partially honest answer. That's it, man. Whether you agree with how he feels is irrelevant. If he truly feels that way, let him. If he used the Kobe technique of pretending he had beef just to gain a competitive edge, so be it. What's it to you? What is it to you? Hugh Jackson was a f***ing moron, and from, from what we heard Baker say on Sunday, it seems like almost everybody in the locker room agrees, you know? Everybody thought the same thing. But Hugh, 1-31 in 31 Jackson, would walk around the locker room and say stuff like, this is my team and, you know, we're going to do what I say. You know, we saw it on Hard Knocks. Well, now Jackson's gone. And now the players don't have to hide their obviously negative thoughts about him any longer. All day Monday, Baker Mayfield was trashed by ESPN analysts, clickbait websites such as The Daily Caller or f***ing Deadspin. But him getting on social media to defend himself from others trashing him as a person is him acting like a, quote, 
petty teenage girl. Then yesterday, Baker didn't back down from his initial comments and he said he wasn't looking for anyone's approval and he doesn't regret his comments or actions. Now the media bullies want to compare him to Johnny Manziel and Ryan Leaf. Do you know how off the wall that is? You know, you're going to get mad at Baker for sharing an opinion, one he was asked about, but you're so quick to give us your opinion about him. Go f*** yourself. I understand it's the media's job to analyze and give their opinions, but when you ask a player about something and he gives his opinion, you're going to twist it and make it a big deal. It's what you do. You twist things and then make a big story out of it. And then you got all your visitors on your websites. You got everybody tuning in. So never mind the fact that, oh, oh, maybe he gave a watered down answer and he just didn't like Hugh Jackson and he didn't get along with him. You know, why wouldn't he just come out and say that? Hello? Because you are going to make a big deal about that too. You make a big deal about anything anybody says and you do it all the time. Look. Baker Mayfield's been outspoken and far from a saint since his college days. We all know this, but he did nothing wrong on Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, and he's done everything right. Victories all around for Baker Mayfield, and here's to hoping for many more W's for the rookie, for nothing else, just to get under the skin of haters who doubt him and hope for him to fail. I got your back, Baker. All right, let's get into some fantasy talk. We're down to the wire in fantasy season. Playoffs only a week or two away for most people. And I got to tell you, we're done with the JF Stacks waiver wire pickup of the week. We're done with it for this season. At least it'll be back next season. And the reason that the most important thing to do as we get you ready for the playoffs is to handcuff injury-prone players specifically. Trade if you must, hit the wire, whatever you got to do. Allow me to toot my own horn for a second. I, uh, I used my first two picks in the draft on Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook. As you all know, Cook and Fournette both missed a chunk of the season battling hamstring injuries, and both are known for getting hit with the injury bug a little too often. Now, luckily, I went running back heavy in the draft, and I, I, I don't have to rely on too many handcuffs. Most notably, I took uh, On Johnson in the draft and Philip Lindsay, who I picked up uh, a few weeks into the season off the waiver wire. He's worked out remarkably. A win this weekend over the last place fella in my league, and I clinched the number three seed. Pretty good if you ask me. Now, as far as handcuffing goes, for those not familiar with the term, handcuffing means picking up the immediate backup for a prominent player. I got that from NFL.com's fantasy football uh, rulebook. So that's exactly what it means. Handcuffing is picking up the immediate player for a prominent player. For instance, and this I suggest, if you have Leonard Fournette as I do, you'd be wise to have his backup Carlos Hyde as well. David Johnson from the Cardinals. If you have him, you'd be wise to pick up Chase Edmonds. Other running back handcuffs to consider, Dalvin Cook and Latavius Murray, Joe Mixon and Gio Bernard, Ezekiel Elliott and Rod Smith. Um, carry on Johnson and LeGarrette Blunt and or Theo Riddick. Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines is a big one. So you get where I'm coming from with handcuffs. Handcuffs are key to late season and fantasy playoff success. Another thing, it seems like everyone I call trash, I feel like they hear me. You know, maybe not listen to this podcast. In fact, I'm sure nobody relevant listens to this garbage. But if I call a quarterback trash... I feel like it reaches them on a spiritual level or something because all of a sudden they play a lot better. I called uh, Blake Bortles trash a couple months ago. Then he started playing better almost immediately. 
Then Dak Prescott, I referred to as Dak Trash Scott, and he started performing a heck of a lot better, and he, he's shed the trash label entirely over the past few weeks, sending the trash label back to Blake Bortles, who has since been benched. The trash label should only apply to starting quarterbacks, therefore I gotta find another quarterback to be little, even though they've accomplished more in their career than I will in my life. Such is life. But my point is Dak Prescott went from absolute 100% grade A trash to someone who is a must-add in all leagues. The addition of Amari Cooper to the Dallas Cowboys has helped Prescott immensely over the last month, and I expect them to continue to excel together over the next month. Now, first up for him is the Saints this week. The general consensus is the Cowboys are going to be playing from behind most of the game, and that's going to force Dak Prescott to pass a bunch against a pass defense that ranks 30th in the league, allowing opposing quarterbacks to throw for 286 yards on average, and they give up 101 quarterback rating if that ain't enough. After that, it's the Eagles, Colts, and Buccaneers, all of whom rank in the bottom half of the league in pass defense. Pretty favorable upcoming schedule for Dak Prescott, if you ask me. So if you need a quarterback, look no further than Dak Prescott, who's owned in under 50% of leagues. Another tip for late season fantasy success, stack your defense early. A week in advance, at least, I think. That's what I do. You know, Green Bay, the Packers, they're a middle of the pack defense, no pun intended, and they should be used depending on matchups. They were owned in uh, 20% of leagues last week, and they were headed to Minnesota to take on a very good Vikings offense. Now fast forward one week, the Packers' defense is now owned in 55% of ESPN leagues, including mine. You know why? They play the Cardinals at Lambeau Field this week. That's a 35% uh, increase in ownership. I picked them up a week early knowing they're going to be a hot commodity this week, so that's something you should look into doing over the next couple of weeks. Pick up a defense a week early, or if you're feeling ballsy, two weeks early. I got the lowdown because that's what I do. I have your backs. I study and research, so all you got to do is listen to me. That's it. That's all you got to do. Listen to me. So defenses to target this week to use for next week and beyond. Number one, the Denver Broncos, who go to Cincinnati this week to play an Andy Daltonless Bengals team whose season has spiraled out of control after a 4-1 start. Then they go to San Francisco, home against Cleveland, then at Oakland in week 16. Doesn't get much better than that, except maybe the Tennessee Titans defense. They took an absolute whooping from the Houston Texans on Monday night, posting minus two fantasy points and a 37-17 loss, to which I predicted a 34-13 loss, by the way. But minus two fantasy points is terrible, coupled with the fact that they put up minus four points the week before. That's minus six total points in the last two weeks for a defense who I think is pretty good. You know, they're going to be avoided. And I don't think they should be. So can you guess as to why? Of course, the answer is a favorable schedule. Home against the Jets, home against Jacksonville, at the New York Giants, and then a home date with Washington in week 16. That might be the most favorable schedule of all. Oh, and the Titans are owned in just 44% of ESPN leagues. Pick them up. Okay, back to Dallas. 
the Cowboys are the final defense on this list. They're uh, the seventh ranked overall defense in the league, and they're owned in just 41% of ESPN leagues. Their schedule is not nearly as favorable as Denver or Tennessee's schedule, but I think the Cowboys are an intriguing option after this week, of course. Obviously, you don't want to play the Cowboys against the Saints, but maybe you'll want to play them next week when they host Philadelphia. Then they travel to uh, Indianapolis, which isn't so favorable, before coming home to play the offensive turnover machines known as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Week 16. So that's my list. Do what you will, but if you don't listen to me, you're going to lose. And don't forget to tune in next week for even more fantasy football advice to help you cash in by winning your fantasy football league. Switching topics away from fantasy football, what is the definition of a clown? According to Google, a dictionary, a clown is a comic entertainer, also one who plays the fool. If that is not the definition of a Jalen Ramsey, I don't know what is. You know, this guy, he's funny on occasion, as evident when he pointed at the Bills bench and he was pointing at everybody, you're trash and you're trash. That was funny. I have to admit that made me laugh. Okay. But he is a total clown. Jalen Ramsey is a clown. He's good. He's not, he's not great. You know, he's no Richard Sherman when Richard Sherman was in his prime. He's no Deion Sanders when Deion was playing. Jalen Ramsey's pretty good. I'll give him that. And he can be funny at times, but above all that, he's just a clown. To recap the season for Jalen Ramsey and the Jaguars, Ramsey took to the media to call out and basically trash as many quarterbacks as he felt necessary to, I don't know, clown around or maybe get his confidence up. I'm not sure, but he's eaten his words so far this season, and I just can't help but laugh because Jalen Ramsey is this week's recipient of the Jimmy Conway Award. Let's see how Ramsey has done this season against those he verbally trashed earlier in the year. First of all, he said uh, Colts quarterback Andrew Luck is, quote, not that good. What are you, stupid? In Ramsey's first meeting with the Colts, he registered just five tackles while Andrew Luck threw for 285 yards and three touchdowns. Not that good, huh? Are you stupid or what? Second on the list, Steelers quarterback Big Ben Roethlisberger. Ramsey said that Ben is decent at best and credited... Much of Ben's success to Antonio Brown, even though Big Ben won two Super Bowls without Antonio Brown. Hmm. What are you, stupid? When they met this year, Ramsey performed well. Uh, He intercepted two Ben Roethlisberger passes and defended three more. Ben finished with 314 yards, two touchdowns, and three picks. But the Steelers won that game 20-16, and the Jaguars had a 16-0 lead at one point and still lost. But... Big Ben is just decent. Are you stupid or what? And lastly, uh, Jalen Ramsey was most critical of Bills rookie quarterback Josh Allen, saying that, quote, Allen is trash. Don't care what nobody say. He's trash. Stupid draft pick. We play them this year, and I'm excited as hell. I hope he's their starting quarterback, end quote. Well, he was their starting quarterback against Ramsey this past weekend. And you know what? Josh Allen had one of the best games of his young career. He went 8 for 19 for 160 yards and a touchdown. Not the best stat line, but I think the numbers are a little bit deceiving, as he had more than a few quality throws dropped or called back by penalties. He was also a force on the ground, rushing for 99 yards and a touchdown. 
Ramsey, on the other hand, got beat by Kelvin Benjamin, who ESPN analyst Booger McFarland said, Kelvin Benjamin is one Popeye's biscuit away from being a tight end. Hilarious. Anyways, Kelvin burned Ramsey. Ramsey did get an interception in the game, but that was called back when the refs determined he illegally held Kelvin Benjamin. So maybe it's not Josh Allen who's trash. Maybe the guy who was burned by Kelvin freaking Benjamin is the one who's trash. Maybe Jalen Ramsey is trash. Or maybe he's stupid, he's overhyped, and he should just keep his mouth shut. All right, let's get to some picks because it's getting a little bit late. You know, I want to try to get this episode out later Thursday, maybe before the game starts tonight because I'm extremely excited for the Saints-Cowboys matchup and I kind of wanted to include it in my list this week. I already touched on the hot streak I've been on over the last two weeks and I'm going to look to make it three in a row. Like I said, I'm really excited for the Saints-Cowboys game tonight. And you know what? I don't think it's going to be such a blowout in favor of the Saints. And I I have a couple of reasons to support that claim. Number one, as much momentum as the Saints have riding a 10-game winning streak, the Cowboys have a ton of momentum as well. As earlier uh, discussed, you know, the addition of Amari Cooper, it's like it, it ignited this team and it's propelled them to the top spot of the NFC East. I know when you look at this matchup on paper and see a 10-1 to team uh, playing a 6-5 and team, taking the 10-1 and team seems like a no-brainer, right? The Saints have been held to under 30 points just twice this season. To prevent the Saints from scoring 30, the Cowboys are going to have to keep Drew Brees off the field. And they're going to have to play sound defense when Drew Brees is on the field. But step one, how do we keep Drew Brees off the field? Easier said than done, but you run the ball. So even with a top three running back in Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys may find trouble running against one of the league's best run defenses. I think he's actually, the Saints are the best in the league at stopping the run. So that's the key to this game right here. How Ezekiel Elliott fares against the New Orleans run-stopping unit. Now, a lot of people want to discredit New Orleans, um, saying that they're not as good as their number one ranking would suggest. Okay, they say the reason for that is the Saints are ahead and nobody's running the ball because they're so far behind. Their only hope to catch up is to pass. Well, I get that whole thing i i i don't think letting up 3.6 yards per carry is overrated i think the saints have a very good run stopping unit like i said i think that's the key to the game right there it's how zeke fares against new orleans uh the run stopping unit of new orleans and i think that ezekiel elliott can have a pretty good day again the cowboys are at home and they have a lot to prove new orleans can also be taken advantage of through the air See, as I mentioned earlier, this is the NFL's 30th ranked pass defense. Dak Prescott is going to have to take advantage of the matchup this week and have his best game of the year. So I also think that uh, the Saints missing Teron Armstead on the offensive line is huge. And uh, Randy Gregory is going to have to take advantage of his matchup against backup tackle Jermon Bushrod. This is a win for the Cowboys in the trenches as Gregory has been uh, extremely explosive over the last a couple of weeks, actually. And number three, the Cowboys defense ranks 11th in fumble takeaways, and the Saints rank 6th in fumble giveaways. It's another stat line in favor of Dallas. You cannot expect Drew Brees to throw interceptions, because he's only thrown two all year. But fumbles is where the Cowboys can take advantage. So if Dallas's offense can take care of the football and the defense can capitalize on a few mistakes that New Orleans tends to make per game, the Dallas Cowboys can absolutely win this game. 
they're going to have to play close to perfect. It's going to come down to quarterbacks, to which obviously Drew Brees is the safer choice. Hall of Fame quarterback against a guy I labeled as trash just a couple of months ago seems like a no-brainer. But I got to tell you, I'm feeling a little ballsy, a little rambunctious to say the least. Ballsy enough to take the Cowboys to win outright by a score of 27 to 24. This game may have already happened by the time this episode comes out, so they better not let me down. We'll see. Like I said, I'm going to try to get it out tonight. If not, it'll be out tomorrow morning. Just got to deal with it. Uh, At 1 p.m. Sunday afternoon, the Baltimore Ravens are going to travel south to take on the Atlanta Falcons in a must-win game for the Atlanta Falcons. If the Falcons drop this, their playoff hopes are all but out the window. And I have to say, I've given up on the Falcons, man. Preseason predictions, I had the Falcons nailing down the number one seed in the NFC and making it to the NFC Championship game. That seems like a distant memory because the Falcons have not been able to overcome injuries and inconsistencies on defense. On top of that, the Falcons have averaged just 17 points per game during their current three-game losing streak. But the Falcons are two-and-a-half-point home underdogs to a team with a quarterback making just his third career start and first career road start. All that is too much value to go against Atlanta in this one. The Falcons are going to defeat the Baltimore Ravens and find their offensive rhythm once again by a score of 27 to 17. At 4:25 Eastern Time on Sunday in Foxborough, the NFL's game of the week pits the New England Patriots hosting the Minnesota Vikings in a huge interconference game for both squads. Uh, the Patriots look to build some steam after a 27-17, I'm sorry, 27-13 victory over the rival Jets last week. This is not the offensive juggernaut team that we're used to seeing, but the Patriots still have the GOAT under center. Defensively, the Patriots rank 14th against the run and 25th against the pass. That's good for 22nd overall in the league. The Vikings, however, are tied for 4th against the run, 5th against the uh, pass, and 3rd overall. Offensively, Minnesota has all the pieces to give the Patriots a run for their money. The problem with the Vikings is... They have yet to pick up a victory over a team with a a winning record. Now granted, two of those losses came against the Rams and the Saints, the two best teams in the NFC Conference, and the third being their annual nightmare trip to Chicago. And even though they were competitive in all three games, a couple plays here, a couple plays there, and the Vikes have three extra wins on their record. But they just haven't been able to close the door on top-tier teams, and the Patriots fit that bill This time, the pun was intended, but if the Vikings can limit limit turnovers, they're going to win. But I don't think they're going to be able to do that. Foxborough is a tough place to play, and the Vikings don't do very well in hostile territories. Therefore, I do have the Patriots winning this game 28-20, and the ridiculous $84 million jokes keep on coming, even though Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins is doing his part to lead the team. He's doing a fantastic job. So, uh, I, whatever, I digress. I'm not getting into all that. Anyway, Sunday Night Football, uh, the real game of the week, in my opinion. It's got the uh, Los Angeles Chargers traveling across the country to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers in a very intriguing matchup. I think this may decide who gets a bye in the first round of the playoffs. Since, uh, since Big Ben and Phillip Rivers were drafted in 2004 in the same draft class, this is only going to be their sixth meeting between the two. The Steelers hold a slight 3-2 to two advantage. 
the Chargers are going to have to figure out life without star running back Melvin Gordon, who sprained his MCL last week. Uh, both teams have playmakers on offenses, or I'm sorry, on offense, and their defenses are very underrated. Overall, I had the Chargers winning the AFC West this season, clinching the number two seed. But a loss here, coupled with a Kansas City win over the Raiders, that's going to make that goal very difficult for LA to, cheat, uh, to achieve. So naturally, I'm having a hard time not being biased here and taking the Chargers. But Pittsburgh at home is scary for any NFL team, much less a California team traveling over 2,400 miles east to play in 30-degree weather. So give me the Steelers, 30-21. to 21. And uh, Monday Night Football gives us a traditional NFC East matchup with massive playoff implications. The Washington Redskins travel to Philly to take on the defending Super Bowl champion Eagles. The Eagles currently sit a game and a half, I'm sorry, a full game, not a game and a half, just a full game behind Washington at five and six. And a home victory here, that's going to propel the Eagles into second place and potentially a tie for first place if the Saints upend the Cowboys Thursday night. That would make next weekend's tilt between the Eagles and Cowboys that much more interesting. This is a do-or-die game for Philadelphia at the link, and I expect them to come out hot. Washington's hard to figure out. You know, I didn't have much faith in Washington to start the year, but they started to prove me wrong, and all of a sudden, Alex Smith disgustingly broke his leg, and now they got Colt McCoy under center. But it's hard to figure out with Colt McCoy what he's going to do, seeing as while he was drafted all the way back in 2010, he only has 26 career starts, and before last weekend, you have to go back to the 2014 season to see when he started uh, an NFL game last. Sorry, but I'm just not taking Colt McCoy at the link on nationally televised game on a Monday night. So final score, Eagles 24, Redskins 17. Give me that 5-0 record, and let's see what we can do next week. And that is a wrap on this week's episode of the Join My League Football Podcast. I uh, I got a message last week asking for a second weekly episode. And while I greatly appreciate, I simply can't do more than one per week as of right now. If I can do this full time, I swear to God, I'd put out five or six episodes a week. And believe me, that is my ultimate goal. But until then, keep liking, keep following, keep sharing, and keep supporting this podcast to help me reach my goal. Until next week, enjoy the games kill your fantasy league, and have a fantastic weekend.